0: Um, Let me ask you a question. I'm just going to shift gears pretty abruptly here. Have you ever heard of an oxymoron? It's not the person you work with. It's not the person that you walked in with today, even though sometimes we we try to think that. But uh, an oxymoron is a figure of speech with two opposing terms. I want to give you a couple of examples here. You probably would agree with me. Jumbo shrimp. I don't know why we get sold every time we see it on the menu, but every time the shrimp is little. (laughs) It's never as big as we think it is, jumbo shrimp. How about this one? Constant change. Let that sink in a minute. How about this one? Serious fun. You ever know anybody that wanted to have some serious fun? Kind of sounds like an oxymoron. Have you ever known anybody to be found missing? (laughs) Maybe. You ever hear a pastor say he's going to preach a short sermon? You ever hear a pastor say that? You're probably dealing with an oxymoron, right? There's a place in the Bible where there seems to be two opposing ideas wrapped up uh, in, into one verse. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we're gonna look at this, and this is what it says. It says, but grow in grace. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we ha- we see this term grow in grace. And I looked at that and I'm thinking, how are we supposed to do that? If grace is this free gift that we get from God, we've been talking about this in this series, it's received by faith and it's offered to everybody, right? How do I grow in it? I can get growing in knowledge. I learn something and I, you know, I grow in my mind and my brain in terms of what I learn, but how do I grow in grace? How does that, how does that fit together? And I think the answer really lies in what growing in grace really is. We're in a series called Amazing Grace. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to grow in it. What does it mean to grow in grace? See, growth in grace is not about how many. And we can so easily get trapped into thinking that my walk with God, my growing in Him is about how many things I do for Him, how many meetings I go uh, to the church to have, how many Bible verses I memorize, how many uh, minutes I spend reading my Bible, or how how often I involve myself in devotion, how many books I read. Um, But it's not about how many anything. Really, growth and grace has something to do completely different. These activities are important. They're needed as we grow, but they're not the main thing. Um, Going to church doesn't guarantee growth. Did you know that? It's kind of like saying I can go to the gym and watch people work out and get in shape. I'm going to go, I'm going to put up a chair and watch them. Man, I feel like I might even cheer them on. You know, I I might even do that. I'm going to get such uh, in good shape by watching people work out that I'm going to go have a donut when this is over. I'm telling you. And sometimes we we come to church service and we get the feel goods and we involve ourselves and all the all the stuff that we do and we walk away feeling like somehow we've grown in God. But the fact is, is that it's not a matter of how many things I do, how many church services I go to. Growth and grace has to do more about how much. How much have I grown in God in this past year? How much is God doing in in my life? How much has my character grown to be more like Christ? Can I actually tell a difference in my life? Is my heart different? How about my hurts and my habits and and the things that really bombard my life, my attitudes? How much has God changed me? You see the difference there? Growth is not about uh, how many things I do, but it's more about how much God is changing me. There's a guy who I know who gives his wife gifts all the time. And, you know, nothing bad about that, but he gives her money to spend every month. He buys her flowers twice a week. Um, and some of you ladies are like, where's he at? And, but he feels like he's done his job as a husband by doing all of these things. And compare that to another guy I know who, who doesn't have the money or the time necessarily to, to go do all this stuff, but he loves his wife so much. There is such a deep, intimate relationship that they share, and you can tell by looking at them, and, and they, they have this growing relationship, this intimacy between them, and their marriage thrives. Now, which one is healthy? You see the difference in how many versus how much? Well, growing in God's grace is, is kind of the same thing. It's not about how many things you do, but it's about how much God's grace is changing you, and that's really the, the measure that we have to use. By the way, when you love your wife much, you're probably going to buy her flowers, <laughs> When, when you love God much and you're growing in God's grace much, you're probably going to do things like go to church, you're probably going to do things like, like read your Bible, uh, but we can't get the cart before the horse. So we're going to talk today about how do you grow in God's grace, and we need to know if there is any hope for a healthy life, um, the how much kind of growth, it's not an option. Peter said in the verse, grow in grace. He said to do it. So, we understand as we go forward, we, we have to grow in grace and we have to do it with a how much attitude. How much is God actually changing me? Well, how do we do that? We're going to talk about four ways. Say four ways. Yay, four ways. Talk four ways to do that. These are good starting places. And the first one is simply this Growing in grace means aiming your mind toward God. Aim your mind toward God. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, But the mind, say mind, mind. the mind set on the Spirit is life. In peace. Did you know what you focus your mind on is what your actions work towards? And that's true. And we've talked about that a little bit. Sounds simple enough. I remember my parents telling me as a kid um, it would benefit me to think before I talk. Turns out they were right. <laughs> thoughts really do make a difference. And so if we're going to grow in something as wonderful as grace, let's start by setting our minds on the one who actually gives us the grace. Give him your thoughts. Aim your thoughts at him, aim your mind at him. And a quick and easy way to think about doing that is give him your thoughts throughout the day. I know sometimes we wake up and maybe it's there or we go to sleep and maybe it's there and then there's this big gap in the middle that we only call out to God when we have a 911 emergency. But what if we took a step back and we aimed our mind at God all throughout the day? What if we said, God, I'm going to give you my thoughts? And so I love how Max uh, Locato puts it. He says, give God your waking thoughts, your waking thoughts. Instead of saying, good Lord, it's morning. It's morning. Maybe say, good morning, Lord. You know, maybe, maybe we actually tell God good morning. And you know how you start your day is very, uh, it has a lot to do with how your day ends up. It's like a course heading. When you start your day right, it's like a course heading that points you. And then by the time you get to the end of your day, you end up in the right place because you started right. Um, so your attitude, your thoughts in the morning, you know, they should be aimed at God. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian man and author, wrote this. The moment you wake up each morning, All of your wishes and hopes for the day rush rush into you like wild animals. Anybody can identify with that? He said, in the first job that you have each morning consists in shoving them all back, but listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, but quieter life come flowing in. Give God your waking thoughts. And then give God your waiting thoughts. Throughout the day as as we wait, spend some time with God in silence. Did you know that best friends don't have to fill the whole conversation? They don't have to fill the space with talk. And so when we think about God and drawing near to him. Maybe just spend some time in quiet. Uh, somebody asked Mother Teresa one time, what do you say to God? And she said, I listen. And maybe that's what we need to do sometimes is listen to God. Did you know that God desires to talk to you? Sometimes we, people say, well, God doesn't really talk to me or I don't hear God. I just fail to believe that. I don't think it's a matter of God speaking. I think it's a matter of us hearing. I think it's a matter of us listening and getting to a place quiet enough where we actually hear his voice. He desires to talk to you, but guess what? Most of the time, God doesn't interrupt. God will, he'll, he'll wait. So give him your waiting thoughts and then give him your whispering thoughts. All throughout the day, there, there are times where you can just whisper to God and tell him your heart. Every, every day is like, a, is like an opportunity and a potential time that you can have with God. So throughout the day, you can whisper to him. Whisper phrases like this God, you're my safe place. He, he loves it when we do that. And we can find a place in our hearts to say, God, you, man, all this other stuff is real noisy in my life right now, but Lord, you're the one place I can go that's safe. How about you say, Thank you, God, for who you are? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my day is going crazy right now, Lord, but I know that you love me. Thank you for that. Thank you that you don't change. Maybe, maybe you say this. Maybe you, you're kind of at a fork in the road in your day where you have to make a decision and you whisper this, God loves this, God, feel free to lead me in this. Feel free to lead me in this decision right now. I'm going to have to make a decision, and I'm going to do it, but God, right now, I'm just, I'm giving you my mind to help me. Feel free, Lord, to to help me in here. Lead me. And when you aim your mind at God like that throughout the day, it'll transform your day. It it really will. And then, eventually, you're going to be somewhere where you're getting ready to go to sleep. Give God your waning thoughts. Give God your waning thoughts. Talk to him as you fall asleep. And you think, well, I don't want to pray and fall asleep on God. Well, what better way to fall asleep than in the arms of God, in the arms of our Savior, in the arms of the one that loves you? Give God your waning thoughts. And you you give God your thoughts throughout the day like this, and we'll find ourselves eventually not praying just to get things, but we'll find ourselves communing with God just because we want to be with him. And it's just it's amazingly intimate, and that's the first step in growing in grace. We aim our mind at God, and when we do this throughout the day, we're actually open to the second principle that I want to talk to you about, and that is we accept that we have to actually learn to grow in grace. It's not something that I can teach you in twenty minutes, and you write it down, and all of a sudden you're there. We we actually learn to grow in grace. You can't buy it. You it doesn't get downloaded. I wish it would sometime, wouldn't that be great to have a grace app and you just hit it and then you download different versions, be like a free version and a paid version, you know what I mean? You grow in grace more when you do the the paid version. Uh, I'm totally kidding, that's not even a thing. (laughs) But it's something that we learn, it's not something that we can download or something that just happens. We, we, We learn to grow in grace and this is especially important in a world where we feel like we have to have everything now. We live in a microwave society where man, everything goes fast. But when it comes to growing in God's grace, we, we have to learn to do it. And God helps us with that. Um, in Titus chapter two, verse 11 and 12, this is what it says, it says, "The grace of God, say grace, it says that it's a peer to everyone, and it offers salvation to all people. And what that means is that salvation happens the minute that we receive it, the minute that we believe in Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. It says that grace teaches us. Let that sink in a second. What does it teach us to do? It teaches us to say, no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. Here's what I want you to get out of that. It was a mouthful that grace is a teacher. That's what you need to know. Grace is a teacher. And just like any teacher, we can, we can only learn from him if we consider what we're being taught when it comes to actually make decisions. He, he longs to teach us. I remember when I was in high school, um, there were some parents that bought their kids brand new sports cars. You know any kids like that when you were in high school? Weren't you jealous of them? I mean, come on. I was driving around an 88 Toyota Corolla, made 13 noises in four gears, but it was mine. (laughs) I mean, it was good. So some of those kids, they got their car as a gift, just kind of a freebie. You turn 16, you know, hey, here's the car. But they drove them like they didn't care what happened to them. I mean, think about it. When you're 16 and you have a sports car, you're going to peel out. <laughs> you're going to find somewhere to do donuts. And they did it. They, they drove them hard. They peeled out of parking lots. They put as many of their friends as they could in that thing, um, even if their parents told them not to. They, they would drive to places they knew they weren't supposed to go because they had this car and they wanted to show it off. Um, then they go home and demand gas money, <laughs> you know. And you're, you know, and, and I'm thinking they never learned a thing. They never grew in responsibility uh, or trust. Why? Because when they made decisions concerning the car, they never considered the free gift that they had been given. Um, and if they'd learned anything, they would have thought, wow, you know, look at what my mom and dad gave me. I want to use this in a way that honors them. I mean, I, I could be that guy over there driving the 88 Corolla. I'm so glad that I'm not him, right? But it's like they, they just didn't think about that at all. And we can very easily view God's grace as gift the exact same way. And, and we think about when we're in life and we say, well, I really want to blow up an anger at that person. But I know the grace that I've been given. <laughs> I, I know what God has done for me. I remember when God pardoned me, how can I condemn that person whenever I know the grace that I've been given? And when, when you think about the lessons that grace teaches you in that regard, then, then grace teaches and we learn and we listen and we go the other direction. Grace is a teacher, but we have to to take into consideration what it is that grace did for us in every life application in order to actually be a good student and learn from it. Maybe you see somebody in public and they, they don't have their life together and you know they are absolutely doing nothing about it and they're, they're, they're mooching off of everybody and we all look at them and we all have a decision to make. Am I going to look at them in judgment or am I going to look at them and say, you know what, that is not a good thing they're doing, but who am I to stand in condemnation? If I can help, I'm going to help. But you know what? What I'm not going to do is stand here and look at that person in condemnation because I know my own sin, and I know it's not worthy of God. But all oh, for grace, <laughs> grace poured into my life. I didn't deserve it. I know my own sin, and I, but I know the grace that God gave me. When you think about the penalty of your sin, not just about the wrong things you've done, when you think about what your sin deserved, but yet God came in his fullness through Jesus Christ and, and died for you, You couldn't have done it yourself, but he loved you so much he died for you and pardoned you from that penalty. Basically said, I took care of it for you. You have absolutely nothing to pay. When you think about that, you think twice before you willingly dive into disobedience. Are you tracking with me? Grace will teach you that in every area of your life if you will pay attention and learn when he speaks to you. When he says, because you're going to have the opportunity to consider his grace in every opportunity that you have in life. You're going to have the opportunity to consider his grace when you drive home today. You're going to have the opportunity to consider God's grace in your own life the next time your husband or your wife really irritates you. You're going to have the opportunity to consider grace the next time your child does something really stupid and you feel like you want to lash out. You're going to have the opportunity to consider grace the next time you look at anybody. God will, will teach you through His grace. It's something that happens as we continually say yes to God in response to this beautiful thing called grace. And he, here's the, real, the, the formula for doing that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 verse, uh, through 24, it says this. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. So think about what your former way of life was for a minute. And he says, but you were taught to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its evil desires. He's saying that old self that you had with the evil desires, it really didn't get you anywhere. It may have been fun for a while, but it really left you empty. He says, but you've been taught to put that off and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. So God promises this new self, and we're created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. He's saying that a new you can't fit in the old pattern of living. And so when you think about grace and that he has given you, you have to think, okay, in this opportunity, whatever that may be in life right now, I'm going to put off my old self, even though I have the natural inclination to want to act in the old self, and I want to put on the new self, which is being made to be like Christ. And he's saying, when you are walking around life proclaiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, proclaiming that his grace has changed your life, he says, you can't do the same old things you used to do. You can't act the same old ways you used to act. A new you can't fit into the old self. Is anybody tracking with me? I know a guy uh, one time, he, he was actually really respected in the community. If I told you what he did and, and who he was, you, you might even know him. Um, he gave up his old way of living to follow God, uh, started going to church every week, uh, got really involved in a life group, started plugging into the church, making new friends, um, made a lot of changes. Uh, but one of the things that kind of hung around was social drinking and getting tipsy. That didn't go away too easy for him. And so he was still working through it, but uh, trying to serve God. Anyway, he was at a party one night with some buddies. Not a crazy party, but just, you know, a party get-together. And he's with some buddies, and alcohol is there, and people were getting buzzed. And he's wearing one of his life group T-shirts that he got at church where his life group made. Um, And one of his friends starts asking him about his shirt. And he starts talking about how awesome his life group is and, and how awesome God is and how God has just completely changed his life. Um, and it, he's telling me this story, and he said this. this is, I'm quoting him. He said, I found myself feeling like uh, I was talking out of two sides of my mouth as I'm telling my friend about how God's grace has changed my life while I'm buzzed and holding a beer in my hand. <laughs> he realized then the new hymn wasn't fitting into the old patterns of living. It was, it was a moment where God was asking him to continue the journey in me. It was a moment where God was saying, continue to put off the old self, and to put on the new self. It wasn't condemnation from God. It was a place in his journey where God was saying, listen, my grace has transformed every part of your life. Now I want you to take this next step and walk in me and put, it, put that other stuff away. When his teacher, that's called grace, showed him that, he was quick to listen and quick to obey. And as you're walking through your life, as, you, as God leads you in this journey called Christianity, called following Jesus, you're going to have opportunities where grace, the teacher, begins to pour into your life and into your heart and into your mind and give you opportunities like this to say yes to him. It's not just about saying yes once. It's about continually saying yes to Jesus. And, and as, you, as you pursue God in this way and as you grow in his grace much, um, you're going to find just how doable it is with him working through you. You're going to find just how doable it is uh, with God right by your side. In fact, you'll find yourself becoming something that you probably would never have referred to yourself as. Um, matter of fact, you can only be this with God's help. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. It, says, be it is written, it says, be holy, for I am holy. This is God saying this. He's saying, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, this is probably not a word that you walk around and describe yourself as, I mean, can you imagine somebody walking up and just saying, hey, man, I am one holy dude? <laughs> you know, I mean, can you imagine leaving here and someone asks you, what's the best word to describe yourself? You know, you see that on Facebook sometimes. Holy, that's the first word that comes to my mind. You know, you probably get a bunch of dislikes and a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of bad comments from your friends. Um, but God says that, you know what, not only is it possible, he says, I want you to do it. And if it wasn't possible, I wouldn't ask you to do it. He's saying, when you become more and more like me, holiness is a word that actually describes you. And he says, be holy because I'm holy. And what that means is we should be set apart. Holy means to be different from the world around you, be different from that old life, to put off your old self and and put on the new self. Um, It's an honor that God of the universe would call us to be like him, whenever you think about it that way. Uh, Oftentimes we think of ourselves as just so low that God could not ever use us. But God says, man, I want you to be like me. I mean, the God of the universe who could shun us, who could throw us away, he doesn't do that. He saved us by his grace. And then he says, for the rest of your time here, I, it would delight me if you would be like me. That changes things for me. When when I think about his grace in that regard, a God that loves me so much that he says, I actually am in love with the idea of you becoming like me, you being like me, and I invite you into that. And I'm going to help you along the way. I know you're not perfect. That's why I died for you but I'm so madly in love with you and I want you to be like me. So let's go. Hold my hand. Does that mean being perfect? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you're perfect right now and we'll just worship you when the service is over. We'll change the lyrics on the screen. We'll put your name on there. Nobody's perfect. But does it mean that I'm, I'm growing in grace? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. And it's something that we learn to do. We learn to grow in grace. Third thing, as you grow in grace. This sounds kind of blunt, just going to say it. Stop trying so hard. <laughs> Thought about what to name that point. That just seemed to fit. Stop trying so hard. God loves you way too much for you to believe that you can do this on your own effort. I just need to say that again. God loves you way too much for you to believe that you can do this on your own effort. He loves you way too much for you to walk out of here and think that somehow you can accomplish this worthiness of Him on your own effort. Somebody told me recently, I try really hard to be good. And they said, living for God is stressful. <laughs> and I, I, I said, you know what? They, they really have kind of missed it. Yes, sometimes it is stressful in terms of asking us sometimes that, that teacher called Grace to give things up and it just, it feels hard. Maybe that's it. But Living for God is not stressful trying to do it on our own. I mean, well, it is if we try to do it on our own. He never meant for that to happen. He never meant for it to be stressful. And really what I found out they were saying was, is I'm stressed, uh, I'm stressing myself out trying to be worthy of God. And that's got to be a miserable way to live because God never intended us for, to earn it. He never intended us to do that. Um, if I compare myself to Billy Graham, which was one of the greatest <laughs> evangelists, most godly men that ever lived. If I compare myself to him, if I stood him up here beside me, he's good and I'm bad. <laughs> that's just—I mean, would you agree? Go ahead. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I mean, if I look at my life and the sacrifices that I've made compared to the, his life and the sacrifices that he's made, then I'm not that great of a person compared to compared to Billy Graham. Now, if you get me up here and let's say we just get some rambling drunk who just can't seem to get his life together over here then all of a sudden i don't look that bad and i'm not condemning anybody i'm just i'm just going with with this point here and the way we think sometimes You know, all of a sudden, the the, the guy who just can't get his life together and is consumed with alcohol and just drunk all the time and has destroyed his family. All of a sudden, I'm not that bad of a guy. Now, I'm good and and he's bad. But then you get the drunk and you put him, poor guy who can't get his life together, next to a bank robber. And now the drunk, he's got problems, but the bank robber is probably worse off than he is, right? And now the drunk isn't that bad of a person and the bank robber is the bad guy, Right? Then you take the bank robber and put him beside Hitler. Let's just go ahead and jump to the extreme in our minds. Well, now the bank robber don't seem too bad. And so we 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 start to we start to think about this scale of what's good and what's bad. And the problem is is that the standard that we have when we do it that way, the the standard moves. It moves depending on who we compare ourselves to, and so we're trying so hard to be worthy of God, but really what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to somebody w- with a mindset of what seems to be good in our minds. The problem is, is that the good, the good in our minds, the definition of that moves depending on who we're comparing ourselves to. And so we, we look at that, and, and, and it's not about pleasing God. Now it's just trying to be better than the next person. And we make ourselves feel better by saying, "Well, I'm not as bad as that person," or if 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 they're doing that and they seem to be, our, then surely I'm, I'm okay. And so we say things like, "I'm a pretty honest person." You ever found yourself doing that when somebody says, "Hey, you really need to clean some stuff up?" Well, I'm I'm not that bad of a person. I'm I'm honest. I work and pay taxes. You know, I'm I'm I don't hurt anybody. I don't break the law. Get off my back, right? <laughs> and, and 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 we say these things, but who said that any of that makes us good? Follow me here a minute, because we try really hard sometimes to to do this, and it's exhausting. Who said any of those criteria make us good? Think about that for a minute, because if if we try to think of our own goodness, those are the types of things that we say. I've never cheated. You know, I'm, I'm still here. I'm a good parent. I do my best. I don't break the law. But where did that standard of goodness come from? Did we make it up? Every one of us has a tendency to say those things. That, can I just introduce to you that that is this kind of moral code that we default to that's wired inside of us? And where did that come from? Answer me here. Did, did, did we make it up? That, the, that, the, the, the frame of goodness comes from God. The problem is, is our version of it is very temporal, and his version is perfection. <laughs> God's version, that's the difference in our version of goodness and his. God's version is perfect. And it all came from him. That standard came from him. And so if it came from him, we don't get to change it because we didn't make it up. His standard is perfect. So unless you've been perfect, then you're not worthy of God. So stop trying so hard. But it doesn't stop there. That's where God says, I know you couldn't be perfect, so I sent my son Jesus to die for you. And my son is perfect. He proved it. He, he, he's perfect. So w- when you think about what's good and what's not, quit using the sliding scale that says I'm good compared to that. It, it's not about that. If, if you're going to compare yourself to anybody, you only need to compare yourself to God's perfect standard. And if any of us have missed it in any way, even once, then we're not worthy of God. And a minute ago, I asked you, are you is anybody perfect? We'll just worship you right now. And nobody raised their hand because we all know it doesn't matter how good of a run you've had the last 10 years. You've, you've messed up. You have this nature about you that's disobedient towards God, and we're not good. Our standard of goodness has to come from God and Jesus, and his standard is perfection. That's hard to hear sometimes, but it's the gospel truth. But he said, I sent my son to die for you. He was perfect, and so it only means that we accept him as good and we believe in him as our sacrifice. He's the one that was good enough. So stop, stop, stop trying so hard to earn something that you were never meant to earn. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, this writer, he's in the Bible. He's talking to a church, and this is what he says. Maybe you need to hear it today. He says, you began your life in Christ by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit drew you in. Nothing you did, the Spirit did it. He says, but now you're trying to make it complete by your own power. That's foolish, he says. He says, it's foolish to think that you can do it yourself. Once we accept that it's Jesus who makes us good in God's eyes, then he starts walking beside us. He, he starts allowing us to grow in his grace. But we've got to stop trying to earn it. we got to stop trying, trying so hard. This same writer wrote to a different church in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, and he, he affirms us. He says, yes, God is working in you to help you to do what pleases him. And then he gives you the power to do it. And maybe you've been questioning, how am I supposed to do that? Well, God gives you the power to do it. Yeah, you're, maybe you are an okay person. Maybe you are pretty good. But it's never going to be worthy of God because the standard is perfection. But he says, all these things that you're doing that are already good, well, now what would happen if you let Jesus come into your life and empower you to not only do those things but to be a good person in God's eyes? He says it's, it's God that walks with you and, and gives you help to do what pleases him, gives you the power to be able to do it. So number three is just stop trying so hard and understand that it's Jesus. Number four, this is the last one we're going to talk about. Don't compare yourself to anyone. <laughs> when, when you grow in God's grace, you've got to stop comparing yourself to somebody else, and it's so easy to do. It, it's the whole, and it kind of follows up with the last point. We look at somebody else and think, well, I'm not as bad as they are, or I wish I could be like them. You can't do that. God's plan for your life is unique only unto you. And some of us need to start getting proud about that. I, I say this because comparison is so easy to do. Comparison is the poison that stops your growth in God's grace. Okay. Comparison is the poison that stops your growth in God's grace. It, you, you can't do it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And we we see that verse, and sometimes we use it as a a way to get somebody off our back. Look, I'm doing this myself. But I'm I'm using it to say this. Don't compare yourself to where somebody else is. The Bible says the salvation that you have and the growth that God has in you is unique only unto you. So work it out yourself with God, with fear, and with trembling. What is he saying here? He's saying focus on what God is doing in you and do it in reverence to him. You can't just focus on something God's doing in you and completely leave out the fear and trembling part. That's the part that says we have to come humbly before God and be honest with Him. And that's where the real growth happens. That's where He's going to be speaking to you. And if we all do that, we don't have to be critical of one another. We, 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 don't, we, we don't do that at all. We're going to be able to learn from each other, but we're, going to, we're not going to be jealous of one another. Did you know that God has a specific pace for your life? I just want that to sink into a, a minute. Growing in grace, God has a specific pace for your life. And it's so easy to look and say, you know what? Well, I just wish I could pray as much as, you know, uh, Billy Bible. <laughs> or I just wish I could, I, I could be as good as, as, as this lady over here. She, she's just the epitome of what God looks like to me. And it's okay to look up to people. It's okay to be inspired by people. I think that's one of the functions that, and the beauty of, of the body of Christ, the church, is we, we grow together. And there's plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about, uh, you know, us growing together and encouraging each other and, and speaking into one another's lives but God never intended that to be, I look at somebody else and feel bad about myself because of how good they are. He has a a unique journey and and blessings that he wants to pour into your life. And if you're constantly looking at where you're not, you're going to fail to see where you are and where you are today in this moment. I don't care what what your journey looks like up until now. I, I don't care. God loves you. He knew your name. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth were created, Jeremiah 29, 11 says he has plans for you, and they're good to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And, and he, he longs for you to, to lock in with what he's doing in your life and, and to, to say, I want to grow in grace that you have for me, God. And as you do that, you'll find yourself growing, you'll find yourself learning things, you'll find yourself being more intimate with God, and you'll be very useful to him to be able to help other people. I promise you, you will. But he never meant for you to take this whole thing that he gives us called grace and and to look at somebody else and think, well, they're much better than me, so I must not be able to make it. God's got specific plans and blessings for you. Don't miss that. And and, and I I just want to say this. Just because God has you in a certain season of growth doesn't mean that you get to hold everybody else with the same personal convictions that he's doing in you. Because it's real easy to do that, man. God's doing something good in me and he's, he's showing me some things and, and I feel like everybody else needs to be under those same convictions. So I'm going to, you know, God's showing me things I don't need to watch on TV anymore than everybody else is to throw their TVs out or they're not godly. He never meant for you to do that because they're not following you, they're following God. Now I'm not talking about obvious sin Okay? I'm talking about just personal convictions as we grow in grace. We, we don't need a lightning bolt from God you know, to quit smoking drugs. Had a guy actually tell me that one time. Well, God hadn't told me to stop. I'm like, he's not going to. You just you're supposed to know that. You know? I'm, that's a true story. But God he, he's he's gonna use us to, to pull each other together. And he says, you know what? He says to to push each other along. And comparison has no place in encouragement. It doesn't. The only thing we should be comparing ourselves to is Jesus Christ, who we're aiming to become more like. And if we're all doing that, then we're going to grow together. So we don't grow in grace by keeping rules. We we don't grow in grace by feeling guilty. We don't grow in grace by comparing ourselves to one another. You know how we grow in grace? We grow in grace by setting our minds on God, and giving Him our thoughts. We grow in grace by paying attention to the lessons that grace teaches us in every situation, if we'll pay attention, if we'll listen. He's a teacher. We grow in grace by not trying so hard to be good enough, but by accepting Jesus Christ as our substitute for good. And then we just follow him. And all the things that you're supposed to do, they'll happen, but it starts by following Jesus. And we grow in grace by not looking at somebody else and comparing ourselves to them one way or the other, not basing our walk with God on how others are doing but knowing that God's got a plan for me. God's got a plan for you. And the Bible says, keep step with him because it's it's unique only unto you. And when we do this, we realize that it's not primarily about how many things we do for God, but we find it's more about how much that God is doing in us. Can we pray together? Then we'll go. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to to grow in grace. Lord, I, I pray that doesn't become a cliche today. I pray that 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 phrase, growing in grace, doesn't just become some cool, marketable saying, but that in our hearts, that's, there's something that's planted there today. Maybe it's a question. How, let me apply all this to my life. I don't know exactly how that's going to work today or as I walk out of here, but, but maybe we could just say to you, God, I, I trust you with it. I'm going to follow you, I'm going to give you my thoughts. Lord, I'm going I'm, I'm to do all these things we talked about today. And, And I'm just going to see where you take me from there. I say yes to you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.